Hello, I'm Jen. This is Gardening Out Loud. It is Monday, October 9th. It's about 3 p.m. And I am out in the garden after some time away. We didn't have an episode last week because I was traveling in the Azores, a truly beautiful island where it's so easy to slip into a whole other kind of biome so quickly. We called this portals. It was like walking through a portal where the weather is different, where the plants are different. It happens really quickly around there in those mountainous areas. And I will say that going away, it was still warm and there weren't many leaves on the ground. And then coming back a week later to autumn has been a portal experience. Because it is incontrovertibly autumn now. Fall is here. One of my youngest listeners asked if he thought that I would say it's fall now. And so, Cedar, it is fall. It was kind of shocking to come home and see so many leaves on the ground, to see so many plants having completed their life cycle. And now I'm out here in a sweater and leggings and knee-high wool socks, trying to stay cozy on a 10-degree overcast day. We'll get more into what's happening in the garden next week, because this week I have another guest episode. On my first day back, I took a trip up to St. Clair West area to visit the garden of Mikhail Walter Campbell, who is the woman behind Sage and Thistle Handmade Goods, a handmade body care company that uses a lot of botanicals that she grows right in her home garden. It was a cool morning. And, but as we chatted and walked around, the sun slowly crossed into the garden and lit everything up. To set the scene a little bit, this is a backyard garden of a home. There's still a patio, there's still a patch of lawn, but about half of it has been transitioned into raised beds where Mikhail grows all kinds of herbs and botanicals and some food as well. We drank lovely honeybush tea and ate her husband's freshly baked scones with jam and had a wonderful wide ranging conversation, although of course, What you'll hear here is me being mostly quiet, although occasionally joining in Mikhail's infectious laughter, which I can't wait for you to hear. I was keen to reconnect with her after we first met a couple years ago in Gala Trail's garden, actually. And I really wanted to capture some of her expertise, specifically about botanical ingredients and how they apply to things that we might put on our bodies and also just her energy and that great laugh. So 
get ready for all of that. And I will be back with a few final thoughts when the interview is done. Hi, my name is Mikhail Walter Campbell, and this is my home and business garden. I live in the West End of Toronto, St. Clair West area. Our garden is on the north end of our property, but it gets, uh, it's very, very sunny in the summer. So even though it's quite small, we're able to cram in a lot of plants into a small space because we have plenty of sunshine and a white shed at the back of the property, which helps to reflect the sunlight um, and create a little microclimate back here. As you know, we finally had a rain last night. It's been so dry this whole past month and it's been so hot. And I think the plants have been a bit stressed. Actually, yeah, looking out, you can see tons of aphids on my, <laughs> on the calyx. It's a, but they're, you know, everything's healthy and happy and doing well, but it feels so good in the morning out here, especially after a rain, it's a little bit cooler, but everything looks so refreshed. And now like the sun's coming out and the, the plants just have a different energy after they get a good drink of rainwater. And they're just like out here slowly doing their thing. It just feels very peaceful, and but also exciting. And this is my favorite time of year. A, I'm a Libra, so it's my birthday month. But September, October are my favorite times in the garden. It's a, it's a tie with spring when things are first starting. But everything takes on a different quality this time of year. The light takes on a different quality. The plants are at their most eager almost to finish their job. So there's actually a lot of new growth I find this time of year. And everything's changing day by day and getting ready to rest, but still putting out a lot of energy. It's my favorite time to be out here. The raspberries are amazing this time of year. I almost love them more than the spring ones. October calendulas, there's nothing like an October calendula. The color, the resin, the smell, it's beautiful. It's, it's great. It just feels good. It just feels like the plants are really confident or something. Because <laughs> all the ones that are here have survived the spring. They've survived the squirrels. They've survived the raccoons. And they're just like confidently doing their thing. There's so much life right now. But it's not new life. It's like, it's the OGs now, you know? It's the survivors. And it's the, the ones who are living their best life. They're thriving right now. And they don't need my help. Like, they don't need anything. They don't need to be caged and protected from squirrels. They don't need to be fed. They just need to finish their job. Everyone's so confident. <laughs> this is my third full growing season here. And before we even moved a single thing into the house, I looked at the backyard. <laughs> and it was pretty much sun-baked sod, brown dry, parched, nothing here. There were morning glories growing, which still grow today. But other than that, there was nothing. So the first thing I did before we moved a single thing in was order wood and order two cubic meters of triple mix. <laughs> Got the okay from the landlord and set to work immediately building everything up because we moved in August. So I wasn't going to leave everything from the old place and I needed to have a nice, like fertile, healthy place to put all of my transplants right away to minimize the stress. I actually moved a lot of my plants over in the bottom of our stroller with my youngest in the stroller. I just push it up the hill 
and started organizing all the pots out here. But but yeah, it was really exciting. I made definitely a lot of mistakes that first autumn in terms of where I put my tiny at the time yarrow transplants, for instance, which now occupy half of a four by eight foot bed <laughs> or six feet. So that was that was one of my fun first mistakes. I definitely have a very wild style. I don't like things to be too controlled. I like to see different combinations. And it's cool to see that things can thrive in different areas than what you expect. Like my healthiest St. John's wort plant is in shade half most of the summer from the elders, but it's so happy and healthy. And the ones over here are have already died back because they just, they get fried. <laughs> it's a cool experiment. And I'm lucky because I have this backyard and then I have the front garden and we rent because it's Toronto <laughs> and we didn't buy 15 years ago. Our landlord is very cool and happy for me to do whatever I want to with the yard. And we've made it, you know, this, like I said, this was literally dead sod and we've turned it into this garden and we have three kids. They have a little patch <laughs> to play in. Every year I encroach a little bit more by adding pots or digging another bed. I can't help myself, but they love it. Like, that's the other thing about gardening. If you have kids or you have nieces or nephews or there are neighborhood kids that are curious, like having this is, is very cool for them. And I'm not doing formal gardening classes with them, but they know what chocolate mint is versus Moroccan mint. They know when the raspberries are ripe. They know when it's okay to pick the strawberries. They know, they know when it's time to eat chives and they know in the spring which chives have the flower heads on them and not to pick those ones. They can pull up garlic. They know how to find ground cherry. Being in a space like this is just great for them because they bring their little friends over and they show them where everything is and, oh, don't pick that raspberry. It's not ripe. Oh, this is that. Oh, this is that. And it's really sweet. Like, it's really cool for them. I know they would probably love a lot more space to kick their balls around <laughs> without mommy going, the plants. <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> The most important plant to me that I always have in every garden, in a little pot, wherever I've lived, is sage, just like common garden sage. This has always been my favorite plant since I was a child. I've been gardening since I was, I don't know, since before I can remember. My mom learned gardening from her sort of depression era grandparents in North Dakota who canned everything. <laughs> I think she told me she didn't even really remember eating a fresh bean because it was everything you picked was going straight in to get canned for the winter. So she spent her summers with her grandparents in, in North Dakota, gardening, growing food, sustenance, that type of thing. I guess I learned from her, you just can't help but garden. So any little space that you have. When I was in college, moving from you know dorm to this to that, I always had at least a house plant. And I would always try to grow sage in a pot somewhere. And that was one of the first things I put in here was I had grown a few little sage plants from seed. And now they also occupy half of a three by five or four foot bed. And I just, I save a bunch of seeds to give away every year, but I also just let them fall. And then gradually it's just expanding into more and more of a forest. I use sage a lot. I cook with it. I add it to teas and I also use it in my business quite a lot. So my main thing was to bring as many things from the old garden to the new garden as possible. Like I said, we built the beds right away. 
I knew I wanted a bed for chocolate mint, which my kids love. Um, I knew I wanted a bed for sage. I knew I wanted to grow lots of yarrow because I'd been experimenting using it in skincare and I really love it. And for teas, just sort of natural remedy kind of things. But then sort of what happened the following spring was A, I discovered Richter's and just was like, oh, I can order plants. Okay. Went a little crazy. Ordered a lot of plants without maybe researching how I should have, including not one, but three elders. <laughs> and then, like, as you do as a gardener in the city, I just chatted with other gardeners. And next thing you know, someone gave me like four bare raspberry canes. And now they're taking over the garden. So basically, I get plants or I order plants. I forget what I've ordered. I go to the corner store. I see something I love. I get something from a friend. And then I just kind of walk around. I do some research about what they need because obviously nobody loves the wrong plant, wrong place sort of situation where you're having to dig something up mid-season. So what I've tried to do is sort of understand basic needs for new plants that I'm not super familiar with. So the elders are at least at the back of the garden where they have free reign. All of my, my lovage is back in the corner so it can sort of take over. The goldenrod I just let grow where it wants to. But in terms of where I put plants, I do try to do companion planting. So when I'm growing veg, that's obviously really important, but also for like my raspberries, my chives are next to them. I put my garlic in amongst my raspberries so they can get a good head start in the spring. So I'm not just a willy nilly gardener, whatever, you know, sort of pops into my head. I do try to plan so that the plants can be as healthy and productive and happy as they can be. But also every year I have a big experiment or I get busy and I forget. So Last fall, I moved my sweet grass back here because I needed to move it from where it was. I meant to move it in the spring, but now it's taken over an entire bed that it shares with echinacea and uh, calendulas and mint and some sage and <laughs> some lemon balm that found its home there too. So how I sort of go when I don't have time to be as specific or as or to stick to the garden maps that I make in the spring, which I rarely look at again after I've made them. <laughs> is I just kind of give things a season and see how they do. And spring, I'll move things, or autumn even, I'll move things. Or, you know, sometimes you can't do stuff at the ideal time. So if it's in July and something needs to be moved, I just have to kind of go for it. And plants are just here. I mean, they're doing their thing. They want to grow. They want to survive. So we have a very simple job, really, when you think about it. Because they will do all the work as long as we just don't let them starve or die of thirst. They will, they'll do their things. And they tell us when they're not happy very quickly <laughs> in general. Like we're not just bystanders and we don't have to be overlord. We are part of it. We are an important part of it, especially what a dominant species we are. Now we have a lot of responsibilities, not just you know, fun things that we can try out. We're all responsible in some way. As I mentioned, I have a business. I have a soap and a natural soap and skincare business called Sage and Thistle Handmade Goods. It's actually right here in my neighborhood. And since I've always been a plant person, when I started the business before it was even a business, I just immediately looked to my garden to see what there was. I did more research about what plants can do. So then gradually it just started adding more and more things. Like I learned about calendula, I learned about, about sweetgrass, I learned about yarrow, I learned about white sage, which I grow now myself from seed. I 
you know, learned about things like whorehound and different mints and lemon verbena and I grow my own eucalyptus now and because I can order the plants. And so that has been a really cool journey. So, and that's a big part. Like I have a giant mugwort bush <laughs> that I've cut back twice this year and is still going strong. And the, the raspberries, not only do my kids love to eat them, but I save the leaves for teas and they go into some of my products as well. I grow Tulsi basil now, so I always have a couple of pots of that going. And I sprinkle in other things, like I let the Coreopsis grow. Cos Cosmos showed up in the garden, and so I let them do their thing. Lemon balm is taking over. St. John's wort is taking over. I always encourage my nettles to come through because we eat them in the spring, and I use those for work too. When I lived in Brooklyn, I created a stoop garden almost based entirely on reading Gala Trail's books. Easy Growing is my favorite one because that has a lot of herbs, right? Mm -hmm and container growing. She has so many good resources for this area of this city in this country. And I just learned so many new plants from reading her books. I'd never heard of lemon verbena before. And now I can't imagine a year without having at least three plants. <laughs> so the copy I have, my personal copy is dog-eared. It has post-its it, I've written in it. You know, there's food stuck in there. There's coffee been spilled on it because I've read it so many times. So when I was living in New York, we lived in a brownstone and we had just a cement front stoop. We built a couple of planters, but then it was pots. And so I read that book like it was a Bible. And I learned so much. I killed a lot of plants, but I learned so much. And I have really taken that knowledge with me. I can be a very spontaneous gardener and I like things to be a little bit wild, but I do utilize those resources so that I'm not making enormous mistakes. I've just learned so much about seed saving from her. Tomorrow I'm hosting a seed saving, a seed exchange event at my studio. I always have a seed library there and I've always shared extra seeds, but just even little things like, oh, just make your own seed packet. Oh, just use recycled paper and do this. And this is how you can save seeds, which is such an empowering experience. So I think, yeah, as gardeners, we need to really talk to each other and communicate with each other because that's, again, such an amazing way to learn. Share resources for sure and share seeds and share plants. So that's, that's another way that I've really learned is somebody just shows up at my house with a wagon full of plants because they know I'm a plant lady. I think that it, there is such an innate generosity because we want to nurture things. In addition to having the seed library at my studio this spring, I brought a bunch of extra perennials and things. So I had tons of Anna's hyssop seedlings. I had chives, tons of extra raspberry canes. And I just was giving them away at the studio and people were like, oh, well, are you sure? Like, can I pay you for this? And I was like, no, please, absolutely, please don't. I don't want anything. Just please take it. And here are detailed instructions for how to keep it alive because also I want to make sure it survives and thrives. And I think Toronto has a really cool, really robust gardening scene. Facebook groups where people are always asking questions, sharing success stories, sharing failures, asking for help on this and that, giving things away. Every spring, it's like tons of people. Oh, I have 20 extra tomato seedlings that I just want to give good homes to. I have this, I have that. And it's really special to be in that community because you don't have to know somebody intimately to roll up at their house and be like, okay, here, I'm here to collect these, all these free plants. And oh, here is a pack of seeds that I had extra. Nobody wants things to waste. Nobody wants things to die. So it's, it's really special to be in that community. Another thing is, I think it's really important to continue to encourage everyone who started gardening during the pandemic 
to stick with it because I think a lot of people were extremely intimidated because they think gardening is some sort of magic thing that only some people know how to do and that's not true because I'm sure you know the best way you learn is that you oh my god I killed this plant like I'm so sorry plant I will do better next time <laughs> and I think it's it's just so vital that we let everybody know that a it doesn't have to be huge it doesn't have to be your whole yard it doesn't have to be the world's most biggest like perfect heirloom tomato like I said in college I I remember I was so broke. I was so broke. But I had, I don't know, I had gotten something, maybe like a tax return or something. It was like $100. And I went out and I bought like a really nice, pretty terracotta pot and a sage plant from like the garden center. And it was just, that was it. And I, I was living in a house full of other people and I just put it on the back porch. And it was so meaningful to me. I couldn't do anything else in terms of gardening that year. And I just being able to walk out, give it some water every few days and just smell the leaves. It was just so grounding. It put me in touch with this visceral need to just have that there. And that was one tiny pot with one plant in it. And that gave me everything. I, that gave me so much. I want other people to feel that with whatever thing they love, even a houseplant or, you know, I don't know, even just talking to people about dandelions. So many people don't know how special they are. <laughs> and it's like, that can be your garden. If you have, you know, just a little weed patch out front, but you nurse that, yeah, just something, some kind of connection is so, it's just so important. It doesn't have to be intimidating. It doesn't have to be scary and you don't have to succeed at it. In the spring when I was giving away raspberry canes and people were like, oh, oh, but like, what if uh, they're so stressed out? And I'm like, no, 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 don't worry. Just keep them watered for the first couple of weeks and next year you'll have raspberries in the spring and the fall and you'll be have more than you know what to do with in the next couple of years. And if you really don't like gardening, fine, you don't like gardening. But if you are curious about it, there's no reason to not start really small and just see what happens. It's such a great experience. And now my biggest thing, since I have this garden that's semi-permanent, is I just let the seeds go. And in the spring, I try to remember what everything looks like as a tiny baby. But it's great. Like I said, the sage is building its own bed back here. Basically, all of these are just, you know, doing their thing. And then by the time these big ones in the front are worn out, these ones will have more sun and they'll do their thing. And I just like to toss seeds down in the fall and, and let them come up. And it's, it's great. Like, it's really, it's exciting and it's great for the kids. And my husband, you know, knows not to make any suggestions about where things should go or when I say every spring, I'm not going to overplant this year. And he just, mm -hmm. okay, okay, all right. Do you want me to remind you that you said this or no, no, I won't. It's okay. We'll just let it go. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's great. It's, it's really fun. And like, I like to mix things up. So the raspberry patch has chives, it has violets underneath, strawberries showed up, calendulas, parsley seeded, thyme is up front, um, nettles are tucked away under there. Like I said, I put my garlic in there. I've got kaolettes growing up that are turning into trees. Sunflowers came up. 
And every year I buy, like from Richter's, I buy some fun new sages that I haven't grown before. So this year I was growing honey melon sage, which is like really beautiful. It smells just like you'd think. So that's really lovely. And I grow uh, Peruvian sage every year now, which is amazing. It's so beautiful. There's so many sages. This is super exciting. So this is hibiscus, like sabdorifa, the tea stuff. And I don't know if it's going to make it <laughs> because it's just started to put up its tiny flower heads. So I might have to, I might bring this one in actually and see if it will finish up inside. Although I don't have high hopes and I wasn't sure where to put it in the garden. So it's in a pot, which is probably why it's been a bit slow, but but it's really fun. It's cool to be able to try new things because I love hibiscus. I use it in a lot of my products. I drink hibiscus tea all the time. And that's one tea that my one of my kids at least loves to drink too. So I do grow a lot of botanicals for work. Lots of sages, lavender, yarrow, even nasturtium leaves I save and I put those into a steam. Some of my flowers go into steams and bath salts. Strawberry leaves, raspberry leaves, St. John's wort, roses, lemon verbena. I'm growing... I grow my own ginger and turmeric. Well, those are experiments. We never know how they're going to turn out or if they actually grow, but they're fun to try. So what I typically do is I try to follow like good harvesting practices. So obviously I harvest like a little bit at a time, try to get in early morning after everyone's had a chance to regenerate overnight from like all the heat stress. And I try to cut, especially things that I know will, you know, send out side shoots. I just follow like good practice for where to trim on like my sages and the lavender I always get a couple of flushes of lavender every year which is great mints I met the mints same thing they will send out side shoots because again like we said plants want to grow so if you cut them properly at the right time it can actually encourage a ton more growth which is which is really exciting so what I'll do for instance, if I am cutting lavender, so I have a big lavender bush in the front that produced a ton this year, which I was so excited for. So I cut all of those sort of just before they're at their peak open. And I take them into my studio and I like that, for, that process is really fun because it's really sort of meditative. It's like stripping the leaves, which I save and, and use the leaves too because they're aromatic as well. And I bundle those up and I hang them to dry in my studio. I try to air dry as many things as I can, but it's just not possible space-wise. So sometimes I use my dehydrator just set on a super low setting. And again, I, I like to, especially for things like mint that I want to use for teas, if I'm consuming them, those I will rinse off first. But others I can just, you can sort of just like remove the dirt by hand. Sage I hang up to dry in bundles at my studio. I have a couple of bars that are hanging from the ceiling that I hang from, and I have a ladder that's just propped up against the wall that I hang things from. But it just depends. Like when I'm harvesting calendula, those I'll put on like an, to air dry on some screens that I have. Lemon balm I like to let air dry because I think the flavor stays better than doing the dehydrator. Yarrow, I got so much yarrow. Big, big, big bushels of yarrow, and those get hung up upside down to dry. The flowers are the main part that I use, but they also just look so pretty when they're drying. And I have so much of it. I can, I could take out two thirds of this bed and still have plenty. Yeah, I was growing marshmallows. I planted a few marshmallow plants last year and this year, I think at their tallest, they were six or eight feet tall. So I cut those back, but those I just hung to dry upside down at the studio. 
And I save stuff for home use too. We have a little mud room and they are hanging in a window. So it's not ideal, but that's the other thing about drying your own herbs and stuff is it doesn't have to be 100% the perfect ideal situation or nothing. You can oven dry, you can dehydrate, or you can hang it in a sunny window. It's still going to be great. And it's okay. There's no need to be intimidated about that at all. But then what I do, so after the plants are dry, is I will then either add them directly to things like bath salts or facial steams or um, to my face masks that I make. Those have a lot of my botanicals in them. Um, I do a lot of oil infusions. So especially for calendula, I make this really beautiful, potent calendula oil. I put the flowers in, I cup into a clean, sterilized jar, add the oil, and then I, I get the maceration process started by blending them now. So it just helps to sort of break up the plant constituents a little bit more. And it's just more surface area to be in, like for the oil to extract from. And I have a very sunny front window at my studio and I put the jars in the sun. So I like to do solar infusions. A lot of people like to do dark infusions. Again, many ways to do it. I just prefer not to like do a heat treatment first and I just put them right in the sun, which is great. And then I let them sit for, you know, six to eight weeks, sometimes a bit longer, strain them out and the oils are ready to use to add to soaps or to face oils in particular. I, I grow my own rose geranium. And like I said, I have elders this year. We had an abundance of elder harvested a lot of flowers and just let those air dry on a screen. And I add the rose geranium leaves and flowers and the elderflower to some really nice, beautiful oils. And I let those macerate. And that becomes one of my best-selling products, which is a face oil. Just like get those nice toning constituents from the herbs. And it's great. Like I, you know, there's nothing like growing these things yourself, harvesting them yourself, and either eating or drinking or, or making your own products with them. It's really... I don't know. I don't know what the exact word, if it's gratifying. I don't think that's it. It's not, it's not like a pride thing. It's just sort of, it just feels good to know exactly where it's coming from, which probably everyone will say, you know, duh, <laughs> isn't that kind of the point? But it, until you really do it, you don't really understand how just the baseline is higher for how good it feels. It's just, you have a new level of, oh, okay, I know exactly where this is coming from. I feel really good about putting it on, you know, my kids, which is how my business got started was making my own pregnancy and, and postpartum and baby products when I was pregnant with my first child. And that was the first time I grew calendula <laughs> and put that, in. so it was just, you know, a little start. And now it's taken over my life and it's my full-time job. <laughs> but it's amazing because now the garden is also a legitimate job for me that I still love. There is an element of, you know, this is literally a business. This is part of my business money and income and taxes and all of those things. But it hasn't changed how much I love it. A couple of things have changed this year and that, A, I have my studio, so I'm not in the garden frolicking around all day or whenever I you know want to take a 15 minute break come out to the garden I don't have that luxury this year but what I do have is an amazing community of other gardeners organic farmers and friends so I know it's actually much less stressful for me because my calendula I didn't get great growth this year now they're doing great but we're going to have a frost in the next few weeks I'm sure so it's not going to be the same harvest that I had last year, but 
I have friends who grow organically as their job. And they're like, yeah, I have a bunch extra. What do you want to trade for? So in that way, I think growing the business and relying on this has opened up connections to so many other people so that I don't feel the same type of burden and pressure to do every single thing because I know and trust the people who are also growing things. I know that the calendula I get from them is going to be wholesome and beautiful and resinous and dried properly and grown with love and grown organically. So I can rely on other people to sort of take the pressure off, which cycles right back into still loving my garden and loving being in it and not feeling stressed about it. Cause I have a community now mm-hmm. of other gardeners to rely on, which is again, like that's amazing. That's the best thing about gardeners is that they just want to sit around and talk about gardening and share stuff and share ideas. (laughs) We all just want to sit around with some tea and talk about plants and share plants. So yeah, in a lot of ways, the garden has grown with the business, but it's also given me a connection to other people to help take the stress and burden off of everything, which is like, I couldn't have planned it better. This is such a, this will sound like such a cheesy pun, but everything for me so far with this business has happened organically, naturally. It has grown at the right pace for itself, for what I can sustain as somebody who owns their own business, runs a garden, is a mom, is involved with the community. Because the more you grow at this, at growing, at gardening, the more connections you make and the more help you have. And the more people you have who are excited about what you're doing and that inspires you. It's, yeah, it's really, it sounds like a cliche, but it is really like a beautiful organic process. And I'm so grateful for all the people I've met and connected with just because we all like to stick our hands in the dirt. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's amazing. Thank you, Mikhail, for the wonderful visit. Not just because of the delicious scones, just being there in this space with you talking about being sort of wild witch gardeners was extremely fortifying and inspiring. One thing that it made me want to focus on was using more parts of plants than I do sometimes. So I often don't bother gathering the raspberry leaves, for example, and thinking about those. Um, So really looking at another layer of what is usable for us in the garden and what can be beneficial. One point that I love that she makes is that plants want to grow. My friend's father said, the earth wants to grow things. And that is such an important thing to reaffirm. And not just to beginner gardeners, to all of us, that things want to grow and we're there to help them. And I love too that Mikhail says that we're not here as the overlords. We're here as the helpers. And like we are establishing a relationship that should benefit everyone. 
I wonder if you'll hear the wind in the trees on this recording. There are big gusts of wind really stirring those leaves around. Another thing I loved from this conversation is the emphasis on making mistakes and making mistakes as an opportunity to learn. I think those of us who are real type A, who are super perfectionist type people, think that it all has to be perfect. It all has to look like the garden books. But the reality is, is that of course, all gardeners make mistakes, even ones that have been gardening for a very long time. And reminding ourselves that those are an opportunity to learn more, to do better in the future is so important. And so this is the time of year where we take stock with how the year might have gone in the garden. And I encourage you to give yourself as much grace as possible around any mistakes that happened or things that didn't go as well as years before. There are so many variables in gardening and we can't ever presume to control them all. So really it's a process of holding it lightly and figuring out which ones maybe we could do differently next time. Another thing that I really loved here was Mikhail's emphasis on children learning by discovery and curiosity, not formal garden school that happens, but playing in the raspberries and picking up bits and pieces. And we also saw that in some of our other conversations, like with Attica, with Sarah Joy, children just being encouraged to follow their whims and their curiosities in the garden. And I think that is such an important way for us to learn too. Adults can be terribly serious. Too often we don't let ourselves follow our delight, follow our nose and just play. And so let those children be our role models for how we can engage with the garden even at the end of the season. And of course, the last thing that resonated with me is relying on community, not feeling like you have to do it all alone. Because of course we can't. That's toxic individualism at work. That's a lot of American dream BS. What the natural world teaches us is how interdependent we really are. And so being able to model that in our human relations is a sign, I think, of maturity. And interestingly, Michael and I met at an example of that, which was Gayla having to relocate her garden after her landlord was selling the home where she and her partner had made a beautiful urban garden. And she asked for people to come help dig up plants and, of course, take some away too, because that's the way that gardeners are. And a whole community appeared uh, in Gala's yard with their shovels and their pots, and we helped pot things up for their big move. And so I love that we met on one of those occasions. And another sign, of course, of Mikhail's generosity is that I couldn't leave empty-handed. The scones and the tea weren't enough. And so she said, oh, let me take some cuttings. And she cut 
some of that beautiful honey melon sage, some of that Peruvian sage she was talking about, a little bit of rose-scented geranium. Oh, and some cinnamon basil. And I took home this little posy of beautifully scented plants and I put it in a little jar. And then when I had to do the dreaded work of digging out a week's worth of vacation emails, I could sit at my desk and I would occasionally just put my hand over and rub one of them and smell one of those invigorating scents. And it was wonderful. I couldn't believe that I'd never done that before. So if I have an invitation for you this week, it's that if you have access to a garden with some scented plants, and that could be sage in honor of Mikhail. It could be that beautiful resinous end of season calendula, some lavender foliage, or some basil, or whatever smells good to you in your garden. And so this is also an invitation to go out and walk around and rub your hands on things and discover what scents might be there. And then bring them in and make yourself your own little scent posy. If it's anything like mine, it will be a total delight. Okay, that's it for me. We'll be back here with everything that's happening in the garden next week. And until then, take care.